Hello and welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show we have Brian Solis, a digital analyst and author. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today, I'm lucky to have Brian Solis. He's a digital analyst and author. Uh, I've read your stuff, Brian, for years now, and you have a new book out. Uh, I wanted you to tell us what you do and what your new book is about. Yeah, all right. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I'm a digital analyst, so that means I study specifically disruptive technology, so all that stuff that's emerging, the one that has uh, all the tech that has the promise of changing or disrupting businesses and markets and really trying to better understand that and humanize it so that I could advise everybody from you know, businesses to investors to startups. Uh, and Along the way, I also became a digital anthropologist, so studying all of the impact of technology on us and what that means, how it changes behaviors, values, norms, cultures, etc. And I, I realized that somewhere between those two worlds, there was a gap for uh, more than just blog posts and, and articles. And mm. uh, I, I used the balance of both of those hats to write books. And the new book is called X, uh, The Experience When Business Meets Design. And it's about how to design experiences. Uh, in a future economy. All right, so tell us about X. X is a unique book in that you're writing about the future in on a paper book, uh, <laughs> which is, which is an, a little bit ironic, I guess, right? It's 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 absolutely ironic, and I I carried that with me. You know, I I, I thought about, man, this is not only ironic, but maybe it's it's a bit <clears throat> a bit selfish or ignorant uh, at the same time where. It just how can I write a book about designing future experiences in a digital economy and then put it on paper in in an everyday book format? And not that there's anything wrong with books because I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to you know bring out that that contingent to say oh you can't trash books, uh, but. I did think of it as an opportunity to say, all right, look, why don't I eat my own dog food and take all of the, the entire premise of the book and see if I couldn't reimagine what a book experience could be for, the, the say, the future today. Mm-hmm. And I, I started studying you know, s- some of the most popular apps you know, like Tinder and, and Uber and uh, Facebook and, and Snapchat and really looking for patterns in design. Uh, and I also studied attention spans, like th- things, for example, uh, high school teenagers were, were one group that there was just a ton of data on. Uh, for example, three and a half years ago when I started writing this book, uh, a high school teenager could focus on doing homework with the textbook for six minutes before reaching for a technology distraction. Uh, and when I finished the book, that attention span had dropped to 60 seconds and, and, and well below that. Now it's just sort of seamlessly balancing between digital and, and, and the real world. Uh, but the idea of the textbook, I thought, man, what if you could just use that as the inspiration to, to instead of just looking at my book, what if I could redesign the textbook to be more intuitive uh, and productive and even delightful for a high school student? And that was that was the entire 
the premise. And I got to tell you, though, when you when you start thinking about the book as an app, which is you know, I call it an analog app, I, I start you had to start wireframing it, and mm-hmm. then you think more not just design, but there's all this. What about a sentence? <laughs> what about paragraphs? What about tables of contents? All of these things now start to go out the window of basically what you know and are all open for reinvention. For example, one of the things that I found in my research was that a table of contents is actually very difficult for us to process these days simply because of how we've learned how to use technology. Uh, and the idea of going in a linear format and then having a traditional chapter structure around it there it just just very difficult to get through whether you love books or not uh so that was just one area to where to start from from scratch Every, the entire book was started starting from scratch but the the most fun uh was going to a publisher in this case it was Wiley and said hey i've got this idea for i want, a lot, a book. want lots of color inside of it <laughs> <laughs> and a nice want- and a nice pretty cover different shape you know we're gonna go with the this one's the shape of an ipad air we're gonna we're gonna we need thick paper so that the you know the color can hold uh and it was a very interesting discussion they weren't they weren't against it but they you know of Mm -hmm. course the the law of economics comes in that's the funny thing because i mean these publishers are supposed to be thinking about the future and they want to they make us love books i mean that's literally the future of books it's this artisanal vinyl-esque uh aspect where the book is a beautiful object as opposed to just a paperback that you buy at the at the drugstore. That's that's exactly right. And that was probably the most uh, artful way of describing it. I, it was very, the vinyl aspect I hadn't considered, but there's a there's a beauty to it. And I could only get so far. I mean, there are pages where I, I there's still just text on there. I couldn't, I, I was running out of time. I missed five deadlines. This thing took forever. I had to rewrite it once, you know, just simply because in that three and a half year span, with attentions dropping, it's different to write a, a book for six-minute bursts versus sixty-second bursts, mm-hmm. uh, and that was that was it though. But it was it was daunting. It was I wanted to quit a thousand times doing it. I having to relearn how to write sentences for for a different type of experience was just it was all debilitating. But it was also I will never write a traditional book again. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the experience of which you know people would would send pictures on 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 Instagram or or. You know, in social networks, I'd see the funniest things like people looking, you know, taking a picture of a page saying, I tried to hit the button to share this picture and realized <laughs> I was in a book. Uh, just that, you know, so you know that the experience is working. You know, of course, it's not for everybody, but it was, it was sort of the medium is the message in this case. You know, people, I wanted people to show what's possible when you step outside of the processes that we, we, we just by default operate in every single day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're a, you said you're a digital cultural anthropologist. What can we learn from the past that's going to lead us towards the future? Uh, again, this is a, this is an optimistic podcast, so we don't have to, we don't have to say that, <laughs> that we're all going to, we're all going to die from, uh, without reading any more books, but what's the, uh, what have you seen in your travels and your experience now that's going to be shaping, uh, things down the line? You know, I see. Well, there's there's what I see, and then there's what I'm what I'm hoping to sort of drive. Uh, what I see is is a, a lot of talk about the future, uh, a lot of a, a lot of optimism, a lot of ideas, a lot of creativity. What what I don't see is sort of th- with this whole process that I even went through, which is breaking the mold, 
so I started to document your patterns of what I call iteration versus innovation. Uh, you see iteration is I see a lot of iterations. So I, I work with companies, I work with startups uh, you know, that are, are, are basically investing, for example, in innovation centers and, and looking at self-driving cars. And what we get up, when we start with our sort of our personal transformation before we get into like this industry-wide transformation, uh, this whole idea of personal transformation, like seeing the world differently, it's like the old Leo Tolstoy uh, quote, you know, we all talk of changing the world, but none of us talk about changing ourselves. That if we don't look at things with a different perspective, if we don't let innovation start with the shift in how we see and process things, I think we get on this path of iteration, which is just doing the same things better. But I think of innovation as doing new things that make the old, well, doing new things that, that unlock new value, which I, th I think then sets the stage for disruption, which is doing new things that make the old things obsolete. And so an example of iteration is, I don't know, the remote control or the Uber of all of these different apps that exist mm -hmm. out there. Uh, but when, when you start to really look at opening new doors and going down new paths that are probably the, the scariest, the loneliest, the riskiest, I think that's when we start to get into um, really interesting conversations. And this is sort of this thing that I'm documenting. It's actually going to be my, my next book is that there's so much opportunity if we could just start by shifting how we see and value and judge things we tend to we tend to see the world as we are not as it is and i think this is a real good opportunity to change that hmm, okay so i think you you talked a little bit about disrupting ourselves uh, instead of instead of industries is that a is that part of that uh, that vision yeah, well, I mean, we start with ourselves, and then I think that opens the door to new possibilities and how we want to work uh, in the future. Hmm. Okay, so I don't want to get down too too far down like the branding rat hole. Uh, but in terms <laughs> of in terms of something like Coca Cola, uh, big brands that are, or even IBM. Let's take IBM for example. It's a big brand. It's fairly well known. If you if you're if you're an IT guy, maybe you you or IT person, maybe you hire IBM to do some work for you. And then they're also trying to rebrand themselves as like this future future company. Uh, how can a company like IBM survive the next uh, the next ten years when you have other people out there who are doing things better than them implicitly, simply because they're too big to to move fast enough? And then you have an entire generation of people who doesn't trust IBM, or an entire generation of people who doesn't trust Coca Cola. Uh, that's that's an even better example. So what do these big businesses do as they move forward? There, this, I mean, this is a big, big conversation, sure. but at the end of the day, I, I think you have to have a vision for what, what does IBM represent and to whom over the next, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years, I, I, what we're coming off of this command and control sort of business philosophy and, 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 and infrastructure, right? You think about it, many of these companies, regardless if you're Coca-Cola or you're IBM, you've sort of operated on, on these 60, 70, 80-year-old business models. Uh, I think now with all of this disruption, now that we're seeing all of this innovation uh, that's, that's coming in from all around the world, you have to start to think differently. And I think IBM is starting to do that with its Watson uh, branch. Yep. In that it's investing in new business models, it's investing in new new types of products and services, and it is, in its own way, showing that IBM could be uh, a, a cool, even a, a possibly future company that we hadn't considered it would be, you know, just two decades ago or even a decade ago. Same with Coca Cola, right? I mean, the idea of the Coca Cola brand. 
Uh, I mean, I don't know. Every day, it it surprises me if I see someone actually drinking a Coca Cola. Yep. Uh, but it it is a brand now that's going to over the next couple of decades, just simply represent something, an idea, a state of mind, being, and it's going to have this, and it already does, an incredibly diversified drinking portfolio of just stuff that's actually good for you uh, and stuff that isn't. But I think that over time you'll start to see Coca-Cola in a different light, just like we'll see IBM in a different light. But I I, I will tell you, though, that the, the, the IBM Watson project, I think uh, coming back to that conversation with iteration and innovation, you know, I want to I want to see companies think differently about what you could do with machine learning and artificial intelligence rather than just putting it in a robot and having that robot greet you at a at, at a store or at a hotel. I think there's really interesting possibilities if we expand our mind around experience design. But is our is our robot is our future robot branded Watson or is our future robot branded Alexa or is our future robot branded I don't know. Elon Musk's, uh, <laughs> Elon Musk's, uh, what was it? Gollum. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's all going to be, um, the way I hope it is, is that it, that all becomes invisible. Uh, and it is, it comes to life in some type of, some type of product or service that you just don't even think about what's powering it. It's just, it just, it is doing what it's supposed to do. And it's supposed to be seamless and intuitive and, and invisible. Hmm. Okay. So we're not we're not going to say Alexa, turn on my lights. We're just going to say, hey, turn on my lights, and something in the house is going to is going to understand what we're doing, what we need. I hope so. But right now, it's Alexa. Yeah, turn right on now, the lights. Alexa's, turn, <laughs> Alexa's turning on the lights. All right. So the in what you've seen, the I guess I guess my favorite uh my favorite quote is the William Gibson idea that that the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. You've been you travel a lot. You you speak to a lot of folks. What are some of the uh, cooler uh, pieces of technology that you've seen that are going to be that are going to be changing things? Oh man, I, I it's this is the, this is the worst question to ask. Everybody always <laughs> asks me this question: like, what what do you, what's cool? Have you seen? Is there <laughs> yeah. anything particularly cool? Like like I like I've seen. Um, uh, what have I seen? Well, I saw that Comma AI project, for example, George Hotz. Uh, it's basically just a strap-on uh, autonomous driving system. Now George is insane, so I don't. I would not strap that onto my car. But the idea that you could basically go to Pep Boys and buy a buy an autonomous brain for your car is actually pretty compelling. I think the the idea of of, of brains in everything are going to be. I have seen just different iterations and different uh, vertical applications for this. But this, I am very excited about this. Uh, it's also it's also a little bit frightening and how all of this could could possibly play out. Uh, but uh, th- one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of autonomous vehicles uh, is because I've, I've had the opportunity to be driven inside of these things, even in whatever state they are, flaws and all. Uh, and it is, it is, it is to me, game changing i mean not just just the idea of 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 being driven of course is very cool but i you know you play that out i there's there's a real possibility that in our lifetime we're we're not going to have to own a car at all uh and i'm i think that that's fantastic i i've already started playing out the numbers of how much how much this is going to save me uh over the years and so this idea of having a brain inside of the car that doesn't just drive it but <clears throat> 
is basically taking care of all of the things that you have to do outside of just getting you from point A to point B. Uh, I think th- with the right experience architecture, th- this this is limitless. Uh, mm-hmm. So so AI and machine learning um, in its in all of its vertical applications that I've seen around the world are are very very promising and exciting. So I remember a distinct time, and this is this uh, when was this? Gosh, two thousand three, I guess potentially. Remember a distinct time between digital and photo film, um, uh, photo cameras or di- yeah, film cameras, and there was a there was a there was a time when you said to yourself, "All right, I'm gonna I'm just gonna buy a film camera because it's a better camera, it's nicer, I know how to run it, etc." I had a friend who told me that this would be the, that a Rebel, uh, 35 millimeter Rebel would be the last film camera that he ever bought. And he immediately went, he, he returned it and he bought a digital camera. He bought a digital Rebel. The, the change from film to digital was essentially over a year. It was just essentially overnight. Is, is the change to self-driving cars, or self, is the change to these uh, brains and everything going to be overnight? Or, is it, or will I still be buying a, uh, I don't know, maybe a hybrid Honda Civic next year? Uh, and then, then the year after, I'll just have a car that comes and, and picks me up and, and toots outside my outside my uh, house to pick to take me to the city automatically. Yeah. It, it's it's it'll be um it, it'll be a if you think about the the idea from going from a film thirty five millimeter to to digital that that shift was a little bit um a little bit slower. Uh, I I'm a big photography geek and you know it took it took a while. Uh, to really embrace that, uh, for for photographers for photographers to really embrace the and trust the quality of that digital image. But and I so also it, feel there's there's a there's a flip when it just it, it finally didn't make sense to buy film anymore. Exactly. There was so, there was a, there was one year, uh, two thousand three potentially. I think I I forget I forget the exact year, but it seemed like it seemed like everybody had an elf, and then they also had a really nice thirty five millimeter camera, and they were running around shooting pictures with thirty five, and they would shoot whatever whether uh, birthdays with the with the canon elf and then all of a sudden everybody had a digital rebel so there's going to be a lot of interesting features that are going to roll out over time that are going to get us used to the idea of autonomous driving for example we're seeing some some intelligent features like uh intelligent cruise control where it can maintain its distance and speed up and uh, slow down automatically uh we've seen things with tesla where you can you can lane change uh and the car will you just hit the blinker and the car will do it safely for you uh so these things are going to introduce us over time uh, to the idea but also uh there are going to be a lot of mistakes, uh, as, as we're seeing right now with, with Tesla, and we're going to prove out this technology in real time. But the thing that's very interesting is it's not – it's partly technology, but it's also infrastructure. I mean, all the lanes are going to have to be uh, nice and clear. We're going to have to make sure crosswalks and, and all of the, the, the lighting are, you know, are good enough so that the streetlights, for example, that the car can actually see it, uh, thinking more also about pedestrians and pedestrian uh, safety. So uh, 2021 is the year that we're supposed to have autonomous cars in you know, maybe even in our garage. Um, I think it's going to be longer than that. But to your point about film versus digital, yeah, when it happens, man, it's going to there's just going to be this moment where like, wow, that happened. <laughs> and you think you think 2021 we're going to have to wait that long? You know, so we're going to uh, even as soon as this year or next year, we're going to start seeing smarter and smarter features that are going to give us the sort of semblance of self-driving cars. Um, to, to an extent, it's really going to be playing out on highways, except for all of the experiments that Uber 
and some of the auto manufacturers are doing it on on city streets but yeah i think it's going to take that long to just do government stuff like rules and uh, infrastructure and maintenance and potholes and tree clearance and all of the usual things that we take for granted every day because we're in control you know those those are things the car has to grapple with interesting yes i mean i guess i guess what you're saying is we're going to have we're going to have cars that are the early ones are going to require a lot of a lot of clean input so if you have potholes and trees uh, so we're gonna have to clean up our roads. We're gonna have to make our lo- roads look like the Jetsons, just so we can get our cars to to act like the Jetsons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Which we got to is... worry about infrastructure. So, so, so actually, actually, what you're saying is we're not gonna have this until 2050 or 2060, uh, and we're all gonna be we're all gonna be. It's gonna be helpful for us because we're not gonna be able to see or, or drive them ourselves anyway. So we just hop into a self-driving vehicle. Oh yeah, and I, I've had I've I've. I've had, I've had the opportunity to be, um, to drive or be in the driver's seat for these things. Uh, I did uh, a 70 mile loop in, in, in the Nevada desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it was just phenomenal. But you know, there were, there were moments, for example, when it, it, it would start out of nowhere to pour rain and you could see the car struggling, uh, to stay within the lanes. Uh, so there's, as, as far as we've come, there's still a long way to go. But like you said earlier, it's just going to it's going to come fast and furious and uh, in, pun intended. And, and uh, our whole world about cars and relationship with them will mm-hmm. change. All right. How has your relationship to to uh, to photography changed since digital? You know, I uh, I thought re- recently, like the whole vinyl thing of going back to film just just because that the whole the whole art of, you know, from shooting to developing was is something I was just nostalgic over, but I am, uh, I'm all Canon. Uh, I've, uh, every, every, every new model that comes out, um, I'm all over it. Uh, I, I actually though, I'll tell you the, the interesting thing that's changed is I now shoot a lot more, uh, video, uh, than I, mm-hmm. I shoot stills. Um, just because the, the quality has always just been incredible. The, the just, I, I it it opened up my uh, my eyes to seeing things I wouldn't have considered before. So my relationship is is even deeper uh, than it was ever before in exploring new forms of content, which also, by the way, has gotten me into drones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, wait, I, I want to bring you back on because this is a this is all fascinating stuff. But you have to head out to uh, to another trip. So Ryan, where can f- people find uh, some of your work? Oh, uh, well, they can find me anywhere uh, that's best for them with just brian solis so it's brian solis.com at brian solis on twitter i think on brian solis on all of the networks so mm-hmm. reach out and let me know what you're thinking or what you're working on all right super so thank you for listening to technotopia i'm john biggs this has been a podcast about a better future with brian solis uh we will see you next week